Kind of the way that it happened when I was writing the theme song for Culturally Jewish. I don't let myself settle in anything in life. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. Join us as we explore Jewish art, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we sing along with singer, songwriter, actor, Sarah Siegel Lazar. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. Hey, David. Um, I'm curious, because I have known you for a while, but I don't know... Are you a singer? Or are you musical? Do you play any instruments? I wish I was a singer. I wish I had a musical instrument. The only thing I would say is I spent maybe one year when I was at Dawson College studying piano with Chris Barillaro. So he would train. Nice. He would, yeah, he would teach me like eight in the morning piano. And honestly, I know no one can really actually like see this, but my fingers are so stubby and short that it doesn't work well to be a pianist with, no, with these digits. I'm... Very small fingers, but I started playing piano when I was like six years old, so my fingers are still very stretchy. Oh, uh, okay. Well, this is the thing for me is I, I played piano for like eight years when I was a kid, but if you don't keep it up, it's like a little bit nerve wracking. Like I can still play. I don't have a piano anymore, so I don't get to practice very often. But if I'm working on a song from a musical and I have the sheet music, like I can, I know what the notes are and all that, but you have to, you have to keep it up. You have to practice absolutely you have to practice and if it, it's it'll atrophy if you don't continue but i always found like learning piano was very mathematical and i was never good at math so i found the two never it never yeah. entered my brain it was not natural for me and I, I i just couldn't connect to it interesting i mean piano was never honestly my favorite instrument i always wanted to play the guitar or the drums yeah um uh, the, I know how to play a darbuka because one summer at camp, that's like an Israeli djembe. Okay. Uh, at camp, they had like shlichim come every year. And one year they had one that would do um, darbuka lessons as an activity option. And I would go like every day and practice so I can still play some beats on hand drums. Um, and I never learned how to play the guitar, but I self-taught myself. I self-taught myself. What a <laughs> sentence. Um, how to play the ukulele, mostly because... As I, I am a singer, and for the longest time, I always had to rely on other people to accompany me if I wanted to perform. So I thought, if I have a very easy instrument that I can learn how to play myself, then I can accompany myself. But the issue is that everything sounds very happy on a ukulele, no matter what you're singing. So maybe one day I will do uh, some guitar lessons and tick that off my list, but we'll see. I know. I think when the pandemic hit, my whole thing was, well, I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to pick up musical instrument. And Whoa. then 18 months later, none of that happened. I said I was going to learn how to crochet and that didn't happen. So, but I guess, I guess we just have to hope for another pandemic so we can be shut no, down and God, learn, God, learn an instrument. No. <laughs> God, no. I will say though that I, I was singing a lot more in the pandemic and I'm trying to get back into that groove now because there was so much free time. Yeah. So I was doing all the things that I usually push to the side. So I was putting music online, which I hadn't done in a really long time. And just honestly, this past couple of weeks, I started setting a goal for myself because for those of you who are not in the arts, you don't have someone, you know, leaning over you and saying, okay, between this hour to this hour, you should practice this and you should tune up your instrument in this way. So it's a lot of like... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You have to be disciplined. very self-disciplined. Thank you. Disciplined, self-motivated. So I, I wrote out a little thing, like 30 minutes of singing every day and 30 minutes of doing something with text out loud, like a That's monologue great. or because 
I feel like sometimes it's really easy, especially when you're not auditioning very much because it's very slow right now. I don't know about Calgary, that you're not actually practicing your craft. And I actually was just feeling bad and I didn't realize why. And then now that I've been doing this for a couple of days, I have such an energy shift. I'm like, yes, this is so much better than just starting my day off, checking my email and filling out grant applications. Like I'll do that in the afternoon. Absolutely. So maybe you can actually motivate me and you could message me to constantly keep up what you're doing because I need that motivation just as much. But you know I what? I mean, we can, we can use this as a check-in. Uh, you know, we do this every couple of weeks. So you have to say, Lana, this last couple of weeks, you know, I did it or I didn't do it. And now you'll, uh, I'll have to hold you accountable. Great. You'll make me feel guilty just in time for the high holidays. <laughs> but you know you what? Can, you can uh, bang your chest about it on Yom Kippur. Well, you know who I think doesn't need any type of motivation or discipline from either of us? It's Sarah Siegel Lazar, our guest. Sarah has been making music even before she could talk. By the time she was nine, she was sending in songs into her local Montreal radio station. She studied theater with me at Dawson College and then went to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, but now divides her time between Montreal and the shores of PEI, where we sat down and had a chat with her. Let's listen to one of her songs from her newest album, Valleys, which just came out. All my friends are getting accolades, but I'm just getting high. And I've run out of excuses, so I've started just to lie. All my friends are getting out of here, but I'm just getting tired. So I'll spend your cash and spend your time, expend your heart and lend you mine. But beware my butcher heart. Whoa. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Culturally Jewish. Great to be here. So for those who are listening, you might recognize Sarah's voice because she did the theme music for our podcast. Sarah, can you tell us a bit about your process making the theme song for our show? So it didn't come to me for a while. I kept kind of ruminating on it and it just, I wasn't really getting it. And one night I was lying in bed and I think that a few days earlier, my dad had made some sort of a a joke about a mom wanting their kid to be a doctor and I was lying in bed <laughs> and then the first line came to me and I was like okay great and then like it all clicked which is very par for the course for how I write music often it just isn't happening and isn't happening and then all of a sudden it happens and the song is done in like 30 minutes uh so that's kind of what happened with this I wasn't really landing anywhere I was excited about and then the minute I think it was probably like midnight or one in the morning. The minute that it did, I was like, great. I'm excited. I know what to do with this. Was that Have your... you done? A... You were... I think we're going to ask the same question. Go for it, David. <laughs> I don't know if that's true at all, but was that your personal experience growing up? Did your parents ever want you to be a doctor or a lawyer? No, I'm really, really lucky that both my parents are uh, artists in their own right. My dad is a documentary filmmaker and a writer. My mom's a sculptor. And so... I suppose there's a universe where they said, yeah, we know firsthand how hard it is to be in the arts, so go be a stockbroker. Uh, but they didn't and have always been just so supportive of everything I've done. That's really cool. So are you originally from Montreal or did you grow up somewhere else? No, I'm born and raised in NDG. All right, cool. That's yeah. where I'm currently recording at this exact moment. In your bio, you talk about how you were sending songs into the radio when you were nine years old. Can you tell us what kind of songs they were and did your parents like help you send them to the radio or was this like a solo nine-year-old project? It was pretty solo. It was with my best friend, um, but the adults kind of let us do our thing. 
My dad did drive us, or he drove me to Mix 96 to drop off the cassette tape. Yeah. The adults just kind of let us do our thing. Uh, it was pop music, I'd say. It was heavily inspired by the Spice Girls. Uh, our band name was The Sugars, so not particularly <laughs> original. But I have to say, I think the songs were pretty good, considering that we were two nine-year-olds who'd never been in love. I think that some of those songs could have some good traction on the radio. And then what happened next? I know you grow up, you eventually went to Dawson College. We were around the, I think I was in third year at theater when you were going into first year. Was that right? No, you were one year ahead of me. So you were in second year when I was in first year. Okay. Yeah. So then you went to theater school in Dawson. When did you end up going down to New York to perform, I believe, in some dive bars you were singing? Yeah. So after Dawson, I decided that I wanted to continue my theater training. And so I ended up at NYU for my undergrad. And while I was at NYU, I was, even though I was studying theater, it was a very, um, it was a program that was really interested in creation of music and dance and and self-scripting. And so in our voice class, our voice teacher had said, please bring in a song and you can bring in, you know, a pop song or you can bring in something you've written. So I thought, well, I'll just bring in something I wrote. And everyone was like, well, first of all, you should get a capo for your guitar. <laughs> and that was a game changer. And second of all, you should start playing. Like you should actually just play in bars in New York, which are on every corner. And what was that like? You were so young and you're performing in these bars in New York City. Was that like a culture shock? Did you learn a lot from that experience that you've taken with you into your career? Yeah, it was actually amazing. I think New York has a reputation of being really rough and I, that is true in certain instances, but it's also the hub of so much culture that it's so normal for music to be played in bars. And my first experience, like you have to go sign up for kind of a random slot. Right. And I think I got put at like three in the morning. It was two or three in the morning. And if you did, if the guy who programmed that open night, it's tragically not around anymore, but it was called the Sidewalk Cafe. Um and if you if the guy liked you, he would ask you to come back and you could actually play like a, a show show. Oh, cool. And I thought it doesn't matter how much this guy likes me at two in the morning. He's not going to be wanting to program me. And lo and behold, I played and did not get the offer. And I was like, I'm going to come back next week and I'm going to try and get an earlier slot. And I don't remember if it was <laughs> pulling names out of a hat or if I just had work and hadn't been able to get there early enough. But I got there really early. And I got an early slot and, you know, lo and behold, I got off stage and the guy's like, hey, would you like to play a show here sometime? This is reminding so me. That so persistence is key. Yes, then. yes. And maybe uh, you probably won't get discovered at 2 a.m. is the other thing. I'm having like no. a visual of that part in their first season of Mrs. Maisel. I don't know if you guys watched Mrs. Maisel. Of course. Where she's like bringing her brisket, trying to get her slot. Um, I want to change gears a bit and talk about Valleys. So that's the new album that just just came out. Can you tell us first off what the inspiration behind the album title is? Yeah, so the title comes from uh, a lyric in one of the songs on the album, which is called Still Waters. And the full lyric is on that uphill climb, there are valleys on the way. And I was really struggling with an album title for months. And my producer, Matt Barber, eventually was like, look, I we need this in 48 hours. It's getting mastered. It has to get embedded into the metadata. And like, we need this. And it was around the holidays, and I remember I was with my family, and I was floating different uh, 
different album titles off of them and really nothing was sticking and I always know I do this with character names when I'm writing plays I know the second that a title or a name works because I just feel like a spark and I go right kind of the way that it happened when I was writing the theme song for culturally Jewish I don't let myself settle in anything in life um and so I really wasn't happy even though there were some good things being floated and some of the one of the songs is called butcher heart and a lot of people really liked the idea for as that for the album title i was just like i'm a vegetarian i can't have the word word butcher as my (laughs) album title and so i went through every song on the album through the lyrics and i just read them and when i got to still waters i read that and i kind of zeroed in and i went oh valleys and then i went oh That's kind of what ties all these songs together is that this album really is about highs and lows and peaks and valleys. And so even though none of the song titles are technically valleys, it has a really important meaning for me. And then it's also a fun thing for people to discover. It's a bit of an Easter egg in a way that I don't think we have a Jewish equivalent of that word. It's a bit of a mm. gefilte fish. Yeah, there we go. It's a bit of an afikomen in the sense that uh, people will ask me what is I actually got an Instagram message the other day and I didn't see it for a couple hours and it said what is the song what is the album title referring to and then a couple hours later the same person it said oh found it oh wow <laughs> that's awesome yeah because you, you this is about the highs and lows of, of what of relationships in your past about um, dealing with different uncertainties. What are these highs and lows you wanted to talk about and sing about? Yeah, most of them are about relationships because that's just generally what I need to kind of write through. Um, but not all the songs are. The second song on the album is called Better in America, and it's about why I have this reverence for a country that in a lot of ways in 2023, or it was 2022 when I wrote the song, is kind of regressing into so many things that I don't believe in. Um, And so that in and of itself is kind of a high and low of why when I cross the border do I feel like there are infinite possibilities for me and my success and my career, but also as a woman, I don't feel necessarily safe or taken care of. So not all the songs are about relationships, but it's something that comes naturally to me to write about. And I will say also, when I have a relationship that doesn't end well and I can't write a song about it, I feel really cheated. <laughs> okay. okay. I was going to be surprised when I was listening to the album when you did have Better Than America. I was like, Sarah, what's really better in America? You know, especially with, with exactly as you said, the times we're dealing with. I was like, oh, that's very, very interesting. But you do split a lot of your time between Montreal and PEI. I was wondering how that came about. How are you, how do you divide most of your time there? What are you doing? What are your inspirations while you're there? I'm very lucky that my parents started coming here when I was a kid. I've been coming here since I was five. I created the Fringe Festival here on PEI when I was 21 or 22. So I've had very deep cultural roots here, even if I don't have um, kind of ancestral roots here or family roots here. I'm on PEI right now, by the way, which is why... I was going to say that looked very <laughs> rustic for Montreal. Yes, it's very rustic. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have the the big split difference between big city Montreal and our houses in the middle of the woods on PEI. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm so jealous. So it's a... it's. I love <laughs> yeah, PEI. Nice. Like I'm like a huge Anna Green Gables like person. I've been to PEI like 
three or four times in my life. So anyway, continue, continue. Yeah, so it just is a really special place for me. And I actually wrote my thesis at NYU in part about it because it inspires me so much, especially the landscape of the water and the forests. And my first album, Two If By Sea, I think at least half, maybe three quarters of those songs were written on PEI or about PEI in the ocean. Um, And this old house on valleys is actually about a neighbor of mine uh, on PEI. So it continues to provide inspiration. And this year I was really lucky. I got asked to be in a play here and there's nothing better than getting paid to be in a place that you love to be. Um, So that's why, and I'm sticking around just a little while longer to try and stretch out summer. That's awesome. Are you in the Charlottetown Festival? No, it's called the Victoria Playhouse. It's uh, called PEI's Longest Running Little Theater. So it's this really beautiful it was created as a community hall, and it's now a 150-seat theater, um, and it's a real a real gem, um, and it's a tiny, tiny village, and it just feels like you're in a storybook when you're there, so to get to be there all summer. Having come from Montreal, that was like a really welcome. I love mm. the big city, and I love Montreal, but it was a welcome shift for sure. And in terms of the style of your music, it... I can hear the influence of maritime music in your style since it's like the country kind of folky. Was that a style that you always gravitated towards or was it those experiences growing up, going to PEI all the time that really set you on that path or something else? Yeah, it's such a great question. I was just speaking with a friend the other day about whenever people ask me who my musical influences are, I have a really hard time because as a kid, I was obsessed with jazz. That's what I wanted to sing jazz. I wanted to listen to jazz. I listened to pop music too. I wasn't a total (laughs) social pariah, but um, that's what I really loved. I liked pop and then I liked jazz. And then I was really into punk music in high school. And now I think if I looked at my most played stuff on Spotify, it's probably techno and hip hop. So I don't know why I write in kind of a folk Americana country thing it's what I do listen to a decent amount of it but it's not the main thing I listen to necessarily but it is my voice um and it's really interesting you know I grew up I'm Jewish I grew up in Montreal like why am I writing country music but it is something that just it's just what comes out of me and yeah (laughs) No, don't knock it because we had Bobby Goddard uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast who is Jewish as well. But that 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 folk and that country influence just, you know, that's something that she always wanted to sing too. It, it meant a lot to her and I'm sure it means just as much to you. Now, I think Alan and I were also discussing that, you know, there was definitely like the maritime vibe style. I When I was listening to your first song, This Old House, I picked up on a lot of like Nora Jones-esque vibes too. Is that something else that was in your mind when you were writing these songs? Nora Jones wasn't, but it's interesting you mention her because when I was younger, I used to get a lot of Nora Jones references for my voice. I haven't gotten it in at least a decade. So thank you, David, for bringing her back into the conversation. (laughs) You talk about something that really resonates for both David and I about being a multidisciplinary artist. I want to know where you're at now because you were saying like you wanted to focus on one thing and then now you realize you're like performing your own stuff live. So Is that the way that you see the rest of your career going as a much more music focused with like some acting stuff on the side or 
are you still wanting to delve more into the theater scene as well, whether as a performer or as a playwright? I would say that I would be a fool to to say that I know what my career will be like for the rest of my life. I hopefully have many years ahead of me and it already has changed so much considering that uh, my first intention was to be an actor and it's kind of developed into all these other things. Um, I would say that the thing that music allows me to do uh, is that it kind of brings playwriting and acting together. Um, when I'm a playwright, I sometimes am in, in my stuff, but the project that I'm working on right now, I'm not in the last project I worked on. I wasn't either. And that's really gratifying. And it's fun also to be kind of behind the scenes. And generally when I'm an actor, it's someone else's words. And so music allows me to share my literal voice and my kind of figurative voice, um, at the same time. And for me, that's a special thing to connect with audience members with um so i don't know that it's what i'm going to do forever it's everything is difficult in the arts obviously it's its own beast and it has some things that are a lot easier than with acting like acting you're waiting around for someone else to cast you um but with music you know i'm writing to different venues trying to organize schedules trying to organize a band um so there's definitely things that are more challenging. And I have to say, what a gift it was to be in someone else's show this summer. I got to sing, which was nice, and it featured a couple of my own songs. But man, there's something to be said about a sweet 10 to 6 contract where you're in, you're out, and you're not really, you're taking your homework with you, your work home with you rather in a way because you're, you know, memorizing lines and stuff. But uh, the, the stress level is very different. So <laughs> I think that uh, I still have a couple playwriting projects that are in process right now, so I'm not going to just walk away from them to only focus on music. That seems <laughs> foolhardy. But I will say that music is kind of my my number one love at the moment. Cool. Well, you're working on a documentary musical right now with a certain theater company. Is, is it Crows Theater yeah, in Toronto? Yeah, it's Crows, yeah. That's exciting. Can you talk a bit about what that involves? Yes, uh, sort of. So uh, I'll I'll talk about the st- the stuff other than we'll I'll come back and talk about that show when it's uh, all the T's and T's have been crossed and I's have been dotted. But what I'll say is that it's a, a documentary musical that I've been working on for seven years <laughs> through Crow's Theater. Wow! <laughs> because things take a really long time. This is the thing that no one tells you about musicals is they take a really long time. And uh, I saw a strange loop on Broadway the last time I was in New York, and apparently that was in process for like 20 years. So uh, let's hope. <laughs> let's hope that that's not. Let's hope it's not 20 years later. Your show is finally premiering yeah, at Crow's exactly. Theater. But uh, there's some really exciting things happening. Um moving it forward and everyone is really jazzed about those things so i hope to be able to share a bit more with you soon about it but uh because it is it is verbatim yes. theater and i don't think everyone knows what that means so can you just explain what verbatim theater and documentary musical yes. is yes well documentary musical is not really a thing yeah uh, there are <laughs> some yet yet uh, a chorus line is actually based on interviews. So even though it's not verbatim, that was that's a form of documentary. It's probably the 
most well-known documentary theater piece that no one really realizes is mm-hmm. docu. I didn't I didn't even realize that. I didn't know that. And it's my favorite musical from when I was a kid. I didn't know that till a few years ago. It came up in a meeting and I was like, what? Um, Come From Away is right. uh, docu. It's not verbatim, although some of those songs are close to verbatim. Mm-hmm. Uh, London Road is a lesser known uh, musical, but that's 100% verbatim. And what's interesting about London Road is that they actually wrote the music to uh, match the cadence of people speaking voices. So it's it's not wow. your normal way That's of singing really and cool. music. I like yeah, that. It's really neat. So what our show Chew does is it's uh, verbatim. So it's all based on interviews that I conducted. Well, not based on. It's interviews I conducted. And obviously interviews are long. And so they get pared down. But um, all the lyrics, they're all pop songs, original pop songs created by uh, myself and Annika Johnson is the composer. And so she and I collaborate on the lyrics. And all those lyrics are um, 100% verbatim or uh, transcribed, I guess is another way you could put it, transcribed from the interviews that I did and have been set to pop music. So they don't rhyme, except every once in a while they do, because sometimes people just inherently rhyme in their speech. And it's I really nerd out when that happens. It's very exciting to hear someone rhyme inadvertently and the songs are super catchy and you would think that you can't have a pop song that doesn't rhyme and I will tell you you definitely can so it's really cool it's really strange and funny and and heartwarming and uh we've had a couple staged readings of it and I'm really excited to kind of see where it keeps going very cool I love that blend documentary musical um, before we wrap up, because you're on a Jewish podcast, we have to ask you a little bit about Judaism. So please do. <laughs> having grown up in Montreal um, as as a Jew, do you find that any of your Jewish experiences, whether culturally, spiritually, creatively, uh, lend itself to your music writing process in terms of content or lyric or like a feeling? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I I want to say I want to say yes and I want to say no. And so I will say yes and I will say no. Um I will say yes in the sense that I think that even in Montreal, which is such a beautiful city to be Jewish in, um you're always going to feel like a bit of an outsider. I felt like an outsider within the Jewish community in Montreal. I felt like an outsider outside of it. Yeah. I've definitely felt like an outsider on PEI. This is like Bless PEI, but like my parents picked like the most goyish province in Canada to summer in. <laughs> totally. And I've also had experiences here that made me feel unsafe. And like, you know, I'm I'm fine, but it is when you when you live part of your life in a place that doesn't have Jewish people, right? Um, there is a lack of awareness, even in just like the terms that people use sometimes. You go like, that's really an anti-Semitic thing to say. They've never met a Jewish person in their life. They would not consider themselves anti-Semitic in any way, but these are expressions that you know um, would get bandied around. Wow. And so I think that a lot of the art that I create is about feeling like an outsider. Um, Chew is about feeling like an outsider, even though it's about so many other things. It's about a playwright who feels outside of everything um 
my first play talk mackerel which the girl was catholic and david actually said like you need to write a show with like why is she catholic like she needs to be jewish so one day david i'm gonna do it for you i don't i don't remember saying that to you but i stand by that yes you're not wrong but i think that um but that show was so much about a kid who felt like an outsider and actually even though she was from a fictional maritime province and she was catholic a lot of that show was based on my experience having gone to JPPS and being a kid there. So even though right. I changed the religion, the experiences were the same. So I think that it it impacts. I realize the more and more years that go by, how much Judaism impacts my values. Um, like I recently was talking about why I listen to the news. And I was like, oh, it's about bearing witness. And that's such a Jewish concept. And I don't know if other communities or cultures have that exact thing. But I think that this feeling of being a constant outsider, of having, you know, all my ancestors until Lord knows when, having felt like outsiders. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this, and a lot of these values that I have definitely impact um, the art that I'm making, even if it sounds like it's maybe coming out of Nashville there's still values behind that that are very Jewish. Whether it's country folk or Nora Jones-esque, it is always Jewish, we say. Sarah, your new album is Valleys. It is out on Spotify. Where else can we find it? Everywhere that you get your music. Everywhere you get your music. Sarah Siegel-Lazar, thank you so much for joining us on Culturally Jewish today. Thank you. But the thing that I regrettably discovered On that uphill climb there are valleys on the way Alana, what is new in and around your world? So it seems pretty quiet out here in Montreal with the high holidays coming up. It's mostly just Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur events going on. But in Toronto... You can catch a film that is backed by popular demand and was a hit from the Toronto Jewish Film Festival this past year, which is called Shtetl, uh, but it's spelled S-H-T-T-L. It actually just screened here in Montreal at the New Holocaust Museum, but it is being presented in Toronto at the Cineplex uh, downtown on Bloor Street on September 20th. So it's uh, photographed in a shtetl that the production team constructed outside of Kiev. It's a single shot film that's entirely in Yiddish and it takes place um, in the 24 hours before the Nazi invasion of the of Ukraine. So if you are in Toronto and around on September 20th, be sure to check that out. Very good. But if that is not your cup of tea, also on September 20th at 7 p.m., the cook Jake Cohen will actually be in Midtown Toronto at the Prosserman Jewish Community Center. There you could meet Jake Cohen. You could learn about his new cookbook called I Could Nosh, classic Jewish recipes revamped for the everyday. Uh, there will be a cooking demonstration, a conversation by artist Rob Shostak, and then you get a tasty treat from the cookbook. So if you're interested, you could always contact the Prosserman Jewish Community Center for tickets and more information. I know he he came to the Shar in Montreal last year. I did not I was not able to attend, but I heard it was a good event and he's a fun speaker. My question for you is, do you consider cooking arts and culture? I mean, in some ways, it it is creative, 
to cook. Alana, you know what? As a Jew, I'm appalled that you would not even consider cooking or any type of food as cultural. For Jews, noshing, eating, it is very much a core part of our identity. Uh, for some people, it is it is the primary thing that links them to their Jewish roots. So I would say 100% this is cultural. I can't really argue with that. That was very well, well presented. I guess we're going to have to get a chef on the show. So if you are a chef Absolutely. and listening and want to be on the show, let, let us know. Yeah, or, Jay yeah, Cohen. Jay Cohen. <laughs> um, what else is happening uh, on your end, David? Uh, I'm going to have to go back to Toronto again. I apologize for all my non-Torontonian Jewish communities across the country. But later on in the month, October 21st to the 29th at the Harold Green Jewish Theatre Company, they are presenting Knock Knock by Israeli actor and writer Niv Patel. Niv wrote, directed, and he acts in this one-man show. He's performed in Edinburgh, New York, and now he's finally coming to Toronto. And basically, the play is about an Israeli mother, an Israeli single mother. He plays his own mother, Alana, raising her son through different stages of his life while working as a liaison officer for the Israeli army. And her job involves knocking on doors of parents of military personnel and informing them, sadly, that their child has died in action. And the thing that really culminates in the show is when his time for conscription comes for the child, Alana faces a life-changing dilemma. And that is at I the do. Harold Green Jewish Theatre Company. Another uh, fun thing to check out, if you haven't already, which you probably have because it's charting right now, is the new uh, Bat Mitzvah movie that was filmed in Toronto. So uh, it has a Canadian hook. I have to say it was actually very enjoyable. You what? are so not invited to my Bat Mitzvah. I have like a soft spot in my heart for like teen movies like that's what I do when I have a night to myself I love like you know putting on a teen movie and going back to what it felt like to be uh, a socially awkward teenager um it it is starring Adam Sandler and his daughters and his wife and his daughters do a, a great job um so I did not even know we would be discussing this right now but Alana like I was <laughs> Wait, did watching you watch it? it you watched I it okay. I could not finish it yeah but it's not really for your demographic I would okay, say fine. It's not for my demographic, but I just felt so cringe the entire time. It was just well, this I can tell you the things that made me feel cringy was the rabbi character. I was like, I have never met anyone who acts like this before. And the fact that also it was a story about rich Jews, which like there are a lot of Jews that are very much like that, that have the extravagant bat mitzvahs. I've been to those bat mitzvahs, but a part of me was like, ugh, I hope that non-Jews are not watching this and are like, yep, that's what I thought. All Jews are rich. But all to say, it was a very cute movie and I enjoyed watching it. I'm sure there's so much more we could talk and unpack this movie and everything about it. Because um, even after this movie, I decided to watch You People on Netflix right after. Oh, to I've try heard to compare. horrible things about that. We can compare and contrast these two movies and just all, in my view, all the cringe and all the awkwardness. And and, and again, it, it is this materialistic version of what Jews and bar and bat mitzvahs are really about. And that I, I, I didn't enjoy all that much. Um, the, the, the thing that I thought was really interesting, because like when I told my husband that I was watching the movie and it was starring Adam Sandler, he was like, oh, Adam Sandler, he's just going to like do a very secular, anti-Jewish, whatever. And I was like, well, surprisingly, his character in the movie was the one that was like the most promotion, like promoting of Judaism. He was like, but mitzvahs are not supposed to be about this. And I feel like the movie kind of knew that it was pointing out that flaw, like, that it's not supposed to be about the party, but for a lot of teenagers, it is. So they they did bring it up. Um, 
I don't agree that it's supposed to be all about the party, but it is a reality that a lot of people deal with. And so I thought it was like a funny depiction of something that is true for some people. Fair enough. I think we'll have to leave it at that for today. (laughs) I have nothing more to say about it. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Culturally Jewish, which is hosted by me, Ilana Zakon, and me, David Sklar. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by our guest today, Sarah Siegel-Azar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.